This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. This is Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, September 21st, 2021, episode 2771. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? How do I get? Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. And welcome back, Christy. You're here the third Tuesday of every single month where we get to geek out on all things riding instructor. How you doing, girl? I am good, Coach Jen. How are you doing? Doing just fine. Enjoying uh, the non-autumn that is Ocala, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> we actually just got down to 68 degrees yesterday and today, so we are in autumn. You are in, in Aurora, Colorado. Now, remind me, are you guys on the snowy side or the dry side of the mountains out there in Colorado? Um, I guess the snowy side because we're Kansas side. So, you know, we, we get quite a bit, but I don't know. I would say either side depends on the year can get hit. <laughs> so it's a complete crapshoot. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. So we're about an hour from the mountains themselves. But if you land at Denver International Airport, we can come pick you up. We're about 15 minutes from there. Oh, that's a that's a lovely area over there. It really is. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. funny, though, when people first build DIA, right, people thought they were landing in Kansas. They're like, uh, where's the mountains? Uh, where's the pine <laughs> trees? Uh, I don't know about all this flat prairie. <laughs> well, yeah, there is a section of Colorado that has that prairie look about it. Yeah. Yes, very much so. So we are doing this show in August, obviously, 2021. If you're listening in 2026, welcome. Have the horses in your neighborhood started getting their winter fuzzies yet? Oh, they are. And it's kind of crazy because just a few days ago, we were in the 90s. Yeah. And it was rough on them. They're like looking at me like, seriously, you want me to go do riding lessons? What are you doing? Right They're Yeah, we're not happy. But now they're, they're feeling good. They're out there playing and they're like, oh, thank goodness. So much better. It's, I love it when they, this time of year, I, 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 I call their coats velvet because they're just, they're changing yes. their coat, but it hasn't gotten thick and woolly yet. So oh. when it gets chilly out, their, their hair all stands out and they look like they're made of velvet. Yeah. Oh. It takes me back to my briar horse childhood. Oh, it feels perfect too, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It does. So this is the part of the show every month. If you're new to the Christy Landwehr CHA episode, where we catch up on all of Christy's current and future travels, because you get around, what have you been up to recently and what's coming up? So coming up, we're pretty excited about it. Um, we're going to go to Equitana in Lexington, <gasps> Kentucky. Ooh, what's Equitana? 
So Equitana originally started um, over in Europe. It's actually a German-based company, and um, but they have moved it here, and they used to have it years ago in Louisville, Kentucky, and then they uh, went ahead and had it not happen for a couple of years, and now it's back, and they've moved it to the horse park. So it's going to be a big equine trade show, all kinds of vendors. It's going to have uh, many, many arenas going on at once with three-day event stuff, you would like that, with um, Western Pleasure, with raining, with all kinds of trainers. Then there's a big lecture hall that they're going to do with all kinds of um, people on doing presentations on risk management and, you know, safety around your horse and all those kinds of things. And so it should be a really good time. And I'm excited that uh, they, the horse park gets to have something because, you know, our office is based there. I live here in Colorado, but our office is there. So I actually get to go into Lexington and see our staff. Woohoo! So this this is going to be a ginormous expo for equestrians and equines. Are they are they having it up in the Alltech Arena, which is the big fancy climate controlled indoor, or are they using several different buildings at the horse park? How's that going to work out? Like they're using them all. Oh, I mean, wow. it's supposed to be really big. Yeah. Wow. So we'll see because I went to the one in Louisville, Kentucky years and years ago, and it took over all of Louisville. And for any of you that have been to that um, event center, I know like the Eastern National 4-H Horse Roundup goes there. Back when I used to work for the Arabian Horse Association, Nationals was held there every other year. It was Albuquerque and every other year it was Louisville, Kentucky. And it is a huge venue and they took over the whole thing. So. If they're that big, my guess is the whole thing. But, you know, this is a stranger year. Everyone's just starting to get back to getting open and doing events. So it might not be quite that big. It might be bigger in the future. But I'm excited to go check it out and see what it's all about. There we go. And if you would like to check it out yourself, just go and Google Equitana, E-Q-U-I-T-A-N-A. They have great SEO. They'll pop right up. I am looking at the tickets page right now. And a single day ticket is $27 for an adult, adult 10 bucks for a kid, uh, five and under are for free, because if you bring your child who is five and under to one of these expos, you are a saint. <laughs> <laughs> or a crazy person. Or a crazy person. And if you want to get a, get the three-day ticket and go a little bit crazy, it's it's uh, $70, $70 for an adult. It's October 1 to 3 in, a, as I said, 2021. Check it out today. And when then when you go... Dig around and look up Christy. I'm guessing that CHA is going to have a booth or a stand or uh, lecturers so and things. Have a booth, and I'm speaking three times. I speak once on Friday and twice on Saturday, and we have a booth. So please come by and say hello. I would love that. Yeah, check check them out. Uh, chat with the folks from CHA because whatever level of riding instructor you are whether you teach yourself because you don't have a coach, you teach others, beginners or advanced, you hire riding instructors, any of those descriptions, if that fits you, CHA has something to make your life easier and better. That's my plug. I love it. And we would love to see you. Yeah, there we go. So as usual, the CHA conference is coming up because it seems like the CHA conference is always coming up. What's the latest? It is in the fall. We always have it. And it's going to be November 9th, 10th, and 11th. Everybody is invited. It is going to be held in Fort Worth at the Stockyards. And if you haven't ever been to the Stockyards, you want to check it out. There's a twice daily Longhorn cattle drive that goes down Exchange Avenue, which is pretty amazing. And uh, we're going to have it 
there for those three days at the Cowtown Coliseum. And what's unique, Jen, about our conference is that it's not hotel-based. It's horse rider-based. So we're going to be using the actual horses that the drovers ride to take the Longhorns down for all the Western divisions. Yes. And then we're going to be riding um, three-day event horses that Mr. Jody uh, Taylor's bringing over from Star T Ranch, and he's a local three-day event coach and one of our CHA instructors, and he's going to be bringing over all the English horses for the flat work and the jumping. So you come, you get to ride a horse in one session, and you get to enjoy the rest of them as a listener, and it is uh, a really fun time. And we're going to have our big awards banquet at Billy Bob's, which is the largest honky-tonk in the world. So that'll be fun, too. We attended the... CHA conference when you had it in Kentucky, if I remember right. We did. We did. And it was very enjoyable. I really, I got a lot out of it, even though I no longer teach writing lessons for a living. The breadth and depth of topics covered there is so big that even as a, even if you're not a writing instructor, there are things you can take home and use for yourself. Yes, we try to do that a lot. We try to say, here's self-guided tour through horsemanship with all these different talks that we put on. And we also have a lot for equine facility managers. So if you run a boarding barn or, um, you know, a breeding barn or a dude ranch or whatever the case may be, we have a lot for that. We have a lot uh, for driving these days and vaulting and even instructors of riders with disabilities. So we have a breadth of um, different types of topics that can pretty much please anyone that likes a horse, to be honest with you. And it's fun (laughs) because you get to be with horses and horse people. So that's always a good time. There you go. So all of that's happening at the CHA conference. And what are the dates again? It is November 9th, 10th, and 11th. And you can go to CHA.horse, and that's in November. And you'll see the full session of uh, schedule. You'll see all the bios of all the speakers. You'll see everything that's going to be going on. And do you have to be a CHA member to attend? No, anyone can attend. As a matter of fact, we're doing an HRN discount to say you're with Horse Radio Network and give us an email or a phone call because there won't be a code actually on the website to do that. But then you can get a day rate um, for the CHA member price or you can get the full rate for the CHA member price. So that's a pretty significant discount. And if you do um, register, if you can try to register by, well, two weeks, uh, September 30th, for those that are listening to this uh, currently, um, it is going to be that's the early bird register deadline. There we go. Now, if I want to go to the CHA conference in Texas, and I would like to drag some of my less horsey family members or friends along, are there things to do for folks who want to come along but not necessarily attend the conference? Oh my gosh, so much. So Exchange Avenue in Fort Worth Stockyards is the equivalent of those that have been to Broadway in downtown Nashville, Bourbon Street in downtown New Orleans, Um, You kind of get the gist here. It would be 16th Street Mall in Denver. So every other uh, building is a restaurant. Every other building is a shop with all kinds of paraphernalia, primarily Western related. The American Paint Horse Association is located there and has a museum and things you can tour. Um, Oh, my gosh. John Wayne has a museum there. I mean, it just goes on and on. There's so many things to do. There we go. And being Texas and all, it is a very easy trip to go out if you were if you're the outdoorsy sort or you are driving to the conference and you want to bring along your bicycles or motorbikes or something like that lots and lots of open space and hiking trails and biking trails and the like too so if you've got uh, 
overland adventurers that are going to come along. There's plenty to do there, too. Oh, so much to do. And if you're flying, Love Field or DFW. So they both are right there. Either or. That always amazes me because it sounds like, oh, it's smack between two airports. That's because the two airports are so close together. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of crazy, actually. And I guess they just outgrew DFW, so built Love. I'm not quite sure of how that all worked. But I think it's great because I fly southwest, so I go into Love, and it's a much smaller airport and easier to get around. So I think it's super good. There we go. I think I've been through both of those, but in both cases, it was through. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, not staying a long time. Not not staying on, on and off. So next next year, Glenn and I will very likely be making a road trip into the Texas area. So we're nice. going to get to experience that a little bit. I'm looking forward to it. So we have two really interesting guests coming up today, who are on a little bit less of the this is how you teach cancer aids realm. And a little bit more into the, this is how you work with human beings and horses and their brains realm, I think. Yes, I would agree. Yes. Very good way to put it. Yeah. Have, in your riding instructor adventures over the years, have you had the opportunity to delve a lot into teaching students that have mental challenges or emotional challenges? You know, I worked at a place called the Urban Farm and the Urban Farm, um, I was only there for a couple of years, but they did have some interesting um, and fun experiences for me as an instructor to get me out of my box. They had, oh, a, a student that came uh, that only had one arm. So that's not a big deal, right? We ride one handed all the time. Uh, they had another student come in that had um, some PTSD from horseback riding. So that was, that oh, was challenging. Wow. Yeah. Um, from a big fall that she had had. So we definitely did have a few come in uh, with different things going on. We had a lot of horses with issues because they were all donated horses. So we had a lot of retraining we had to do and things like that. So that was fun and definitely uh, built me up as a horse man or woman uh, to be able to fix those skills. So yes, that was, that was probably my most challenging experience. Now I have my two school horses, people can trailer in, but they're primarily kids that have 4-H horses and things. And so it's a little bit less of that now, but back at the urban farm, it was, it was on. We, we had a lot. It, it, for people who want to become instructors for a living or maybe even part-time, it's like, okay, I have a real job, but I also do this too. I think learning the techniques and the science behind teaching the human brain and the horse brain together, getting people who have emotional or mental challenges on horses safely and helping them grow physically and mentally by getting on horses is a skill that can be applied to all riders. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. The, I had one student who was on the autism spectrum that I taught for many, many years. And I'm a very impatient person when it comes to things. I, I, I want things done. You know, I'm one of those get it done now people. And teaching her, and she was a young adult when I was teaching her and was very cognizant of her position on that autism spectrum. And every so often she would kind of give me a, a little wake up call like, wait a minute, I don't learn that way, remember? <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> Good Thank you. Her. Thank you very much. I don't need to be impatient. I need to teach to your needs. I need to teach to your skill set, not the other way around. <laughs> and that was wonderful of her to recognize that and see that. And speaking of that, um, 
I was just recently at Colorado State University where they unveiled the Dr. Temple Grandin bronze, and it's the only bronze of a female on the entire campus there really? in Fort Collins. And we have to have dinner together. And uh, Temple and I know each other. She actually so is t- say, to- tell everybody tell everybody who Templeton Temple Grandin Grandin. I will. So um, Dr. Temple Grandin, the reason why I brought her up is the autism spectrum that you mentioned. She is highly autistic, and she um, has made her what we would think of as a disability become ability. Um, She is known for primarily the cattle industry, but many other animal industries as well, including horses, where what she did for the cattle industry is she would go around on her hands and knees and she would go through um, facilities where they were going to process the cattle and the cattle would move through certain areas and stop at certain things. And, you know, when they do that and they have a little bit of drama right before they're um, put down for processing, they release like hormones into their body that makes the meat, quite frankly, not as good, right? It's just like if you, a hunter would know that with a deer and elk, right? You want to do a clean shot because if they run afterwards, they're going to taint the meat. So she'd go through and primarily cowboys that were working at these facilities would say, what is this lady doing? This is wild. Well, because she thinks in pictures, she would stop and she would go, oh my gosh, that light. And they go, yeah, all the cattle stop there. And then she go along, she go, oh my gosh, that floor, I, I, I can't step on that floor. And they're like, yeah, all the cattle stop there. So she completely redid how um, processing plants work around the country, including even those for McDonald's, because McDonald's has their own processing plants and other big companies like this. So phenomenal. So she got her PhD, she researches, she turns all of her research into um, profit for the university. She's like, I don't really need much. Here you go. The university can have it. She writes uh, animals in translation is one and some other things. And she's well known in the horse industry for the gentleman with the black hat. There was a gentleman that abused a horse. He had a black cowboy hat. And then that horse years later, anybody that was a gentleman with a black cowboy hat, he would just freak out and not do anything nothing. So teaching us that animals think in pictures. So you could be riding a horse that's never jumped before, but if that horse was abused while somebody was jumping a jump in the same arena as that horse, that horse now, whenever it's around people that are jumping, horses will freak out. Interesting. (laughs) An interesting concept. And she really is cool. So Claire Dane, who is an actress, made an HBO film on her um, called Temple Grandin, and you should all watch it. It's it's really quite phenomenal on um, how she thinks. So when you mentioned autism, I wanted to bring that up, that I was uh, able to go and see that bronze unveiled. And Temple, um, she's come to two of our, CS, um, sorry, our CHA uh, conferences, and she's also done a webinar. You can go to cha.horse, and it's just Q&A with Temple Grandin, and there's some amazing stuff in there. And the webinar is not very expensive. It's like $20. So you should go in there and check that out. But She's wonderful, and maybe one day we'll get her on the show. That would be kind of cool. That, and that's interesting because the type of research she does, and it really is scientific research. It's not just a person walking around on their hands and knees, you know, all foo-foo, la-la. She really does do excellent science. Oh, my gosh. She's unbelievable. Yeah, Unders- and she'll do it for dogs and cats and all kinds yeah. of animals, right? Understanding most animals think in pictures. More fully, uh, the horse's perception of its world Correct. How it understands and how it uh, processes that information that comes in through its eyes and its ears and its skin and its nose, how they process that, how they form memories of it, how they take that information and change or not change their behaviors helps us become better horse trainers, better 
riding instructors, better horse people. So I love that she's doing that. And it's very much outside the realm of what you might, I'm going to use my air quotes, horse trainer or riding instructor. And yet it is completely 100% relevant to what horse trainers and riding instructors do. I agree. And so all these things kind of that we can get out of our little same old, same old and start creating these things. The biggest thing that she taught me was the seeking sense. A horse has a seeking sense. So it wants to seek things. And ever since she taught me that, I never will teach a riding lesson without stuff in my arena. I'm really into putting cones in the corners so that you have to go in between the cone and the rail. I'm really into putting a couple of barrels out there to do a figure eight around. I'm really into putting poles on the ground. I mean, I have stuff in my arena. And every time that a student comes, I have to rearrange my stuff. And it's because horses seek something. They want to go to something. They want to check something out. And they just tend to uh, do better. And I don't think my school horses get as bored when there's stuff in there that they can see. Interesting. And that, that moving it, interesting because moving it around, once it, once that item has moved, it becomes novel again, right? Correct. Yes. Yes, So they're going to seek it. It's like, okay, you moved. Are you still the same thing? Why did you move? Interesting. Correct. And they'll say, you know, horses are spooky. Well, horses just want to check out the thing because they want to seek it. So they want to go and check it out and say, oh, I see what it is now. And then they tend to go buy it with no problem once you show it to them out of both of their eyes. So you go buy it to the right and to the left. Yeah. Nigel has a, Nigel is my horse. He is a big lumbering oaf of a thoroughbred. He has a very, very highly developed seeking gene because particularly when I'm on the ground and I'm leading him about, everything must be touched. He's like a toddler in the grocery store. <laughs> everything must be touched and preferably knocked over. <laughs> oh, what's that? Oh, look at that barrel over there. Oh, look, I knocked it over. Yay, me. Oh, what's this cone doing here? Does it tip? Yes, it does. Oh, look at that. There's a jump rail on the top cup. Let me see if I can make it fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> everything has to be touched, investigated, oh. rolled around. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think... For horses who are spooky, one of the things that I've discovered late in my life, because I got to be an adult and finally figured out that I should start investigating things and learn about a little bit about the science of learning, allowing horses to see things versus making them see things. For a long time, a when, when natural horsemanship started to become a thing almost a generation ago to the general public, we were prone to make the horse look at it so you kick and prod and push and shove and and force the horse to stare at something which can be a benefit but it can also have a horse who is genuinely afraid or who has had repeated unpleasant experiences ptsd can make them worse and allowing the horse to see it out of both eyes. Okay, we, we don't have to get five feet away from it. If it's that terrifying, we can look at it out of the left eye from 20 feet away. That's Correct. fine. I well, agree. Now let's go look at it from 20 feet away from the other eye. That's pretty cool. Okay, let's go over here and do some trot circles a while because a while, that's something that you're really content to use and it's not stressful for you. Hey, by the way, now that we've done some circles, let's go over and and see if we can look at that thing out of one eye from 15 feet away and see if it's okay. Yep. 
but it's uh, see if it's okay. Will you, would you like to go over there and do that? Cause I'm trying to find that seeking behavior. Cause if the horse is feeling comfortable and is genuinely using that part of his brain, the seeking part of his brain, he will willingly go over there and go, Ooh, his little ears will perk up. And he might snoot a little bit with his nose and go, Ooh, what's that? But he also knows that if I'm too close, I can walk away and it's all right. And by knowing that he's, not very likely to spook away. He's just going to walk away because he's going to spook away because he's going, Oh my God, I'm trapped. Ah! Right. So it's, it's fun to play with that with horses and, and find things that you might not realize that they were intimidated by because you didn't give them the opportunity to show you that. And they didn't give them the opportunity to snort or flip their ears or take one step sideways because you had them between your hand and your leg. Well, that's the yes. same horse that then finally he's just, it's just too much. And then he has a big bolt. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting no, I think stuff. that's really good. Yeah. So it'll be fun. So today our two guests are going to dive a little bit deeper into this kind of thing. So we're excited to have them on. Um, our first one's going to be Nina Elcombe Fry. And Nina is the director of equine programs at the university of Denver's Institute for the human animal connection. She's a former equestrian Special Olympics coach and teaches equine behavior. She's also a certified riding instructor with CHA and a practitioner member of the International Society of Equitation Science. She has a background as a mental health practitioner. She provides clinical services specializing in trauma treatment. And she's also a competitive rider and an equine behavior consultant and an academic professional who is actively engaged in national and international organizations for both the human and the equine and their health. Nina, we are so excited to have you on the show today. Let's just jump right in. Can you tell us more about your career and your journey with horses? Good morning, and it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So I lead the equine programs at University of Denver's Institute for Human-Animal Connection. And you could say that this means I work with the intersection of human health and behavior and horse health and behavior. So there are these two areas to my work to horses. Uh, in terms of horse behavior and welfare, I work with horses in communities. This means their experiences living together with us. This could be horses in transition. So horses who are moving from one owner or one place to the next. Sometimes we talk about rescue and things like that, but really horses who are transitioning is a special interest to me because this has implications for their behavior, for their needs, but also for their training in terms of doing things together with humans. Um, I also look a lot at free roaming horses, so horses who don't live with humans and their needs in their environment and how we share this country, for instance, with them. And I also enjoy looking at general living environments for horses who do live in places where they're training or riding or, or in other contexts, even in, in human health. So because my other area of work when it comes to horses is therapeutic human horse interaction. And this simply means that horses are included in areas of human health, in healthcare services like psychotherapy or 
even things like occupational therapy and physical therapy. And at the university, we have a post-master's training program for licensed masters and doctoral level therapists who want to include horses in psychotherapy. So that's just a little bit of the things that I do with humans and horses. And what I find so fascinating, Nina, you know, you and I got to know each other and I've learned um, quite a bit more about you. And I just, it's fascinating that you're actually Finnish and now you're also, of course, U.S. And what is the differences that you have found between how the equine industry works in Finland and how it works here in the U.S.? That's right. I am from the country of Finland and I've been here in the States for about 10 years now. I'm also a U.S. citizen. So I grew up in a village on the west coast of Finland where my family ran a small boarding stable and I was involved in a number of aspects of the horse industry, including as a junior competitive rider. And what I'm noticing in terms of differences between the United States and Finland, not only, of course, in the sheer size differences of Finland as a small country. They have fewer horses, of course, than the United States, essentially as well. And while things like the Equestrian Federation of Finland is similar to the U.S. Equestrian Federation and some organizations like that, I find that in Finland there were, again, fewer horses and it was not so common to simply have horses around. So if you had horses, you had a, a very specific stable, you had a riding school. Um, and what I've really enjoyed here, especially in the west of the U.S. where I live, is that horses are really uh, uh, also a way of life. It's not just what we do with horses, but we can also simply be around horses in the beautiful landscape that we live in. So that's one of the one of the differences. I also found that again with a smaller country and and less people, uh, there were more focus on on like learning specific things about horses. So the the population itself was more homogenous when it came to horse horse information and how people thought about horses. And here in the U.S., we have many many cultures and ways that people relate to horses. And I find that exciting. And we do have a bunch of different ways here. That is absolutely true. Um, to say that you're in the horse industry, you know, to somebody not in the horse industry means, oh, well, there's just one thing, right? And then you get involved and you're like, oh my gosh, you can never stop learning. Absolutely. Always a new discipline, a new something. So out of everything you do, Nina, what do you enjoy the most? Because you have a variety of things. Aren't you even like a farrier on the side? And you still do, <laughs> you know, you have a bunch of different hats that you wear. So tell us more about those different hats and what you enjoy the most. Yes, that's true. When I tell people that I, you know, work at a university, I'm a faculty member in a graduate school, and I and I also direct our equine programs, people tend to assume that the work I do is very abstract, let's say, or that I'm sort of sitting there and typing up some papers. But but this is not really true, neither for me nor my colleagues who work with horses connected to higher education. My work is actually really quite practical, hands-on with horses, 
uh, either supervising students or working, like you mentioned, I'm also a trained farrier, was trained in Finland. In fact, um, I also do behavioral consultation, meaning I work with people and horses when there are mismatches in, in what is happening, um, such as the horse is afraid of things that, that they don't necessarily need to be afraid of in the human world based on some past experiences, or the horse and the person want to accomplish something together, but the horse is not quite ready, or maybe just not understanding what's going on. So in terms of what I enjoy the most is perhaps the the ability to do different things, the one-to-one interactions with people and horses, and that includes, of course, students, but also the ability to be part of driving conversations um, when it comes to horses, their behavior and welfare. Um, As an example, I was part of developing a horse behavior assessment tool that is now used uh, for every horse published on the My Horse website, which is a, a way to promote adoption and, and um, finding horses new, new places to be and new work roles. Uh, and I was also part of developing some guidelines for an international organization when it came to equine behavior and care for horses part of mental health and learning services. So going from the very real, tangible, on-the-ground work, as well as being able to look at larger structures and how we can move the conversation forward. I think it's the variety that really uh, keeps me going. And that is the best of both worlds, because you do have the computer side and the research and the theory and the writing paper side, but then you also have the teaching, the out in the field, getting it done side. I think that is fabulous that you do both. And you are very much an educator for us. Um, For those that are listening that want to know more about Nina, she actually did a PTSD trauma in horses. Horses also get PTSD as well as humans. And it's a webinar that has been recorded uh, that Nina did for us that you can find on CHA.horse. Just go to our education tab and then webinars. We really appreciate that. And of course, you have been to numerous of our conferences as a speaker, and we're very excited because you're going to be talking about the science of equine behavior at our upcoming conference in November in Fort Worth, Texas. So can you give us a little teaser on what you're going to be discussing? Absolutely. So this is going to be a fun, active, informative session together with horses, speaking of that practical aspect here. And I'm going to be talking about behavior in the daily life of our, of our interactions with horses. Because as horse people, we know that horses communicate to us via their behavior. But what some folks don't know is that this is actually an area of scientific study that focuses on application of what we know about horses so that we can reduce misunderstandings between ourselves and horses, which, as you all know, can be both dangerous, but also quite unsatisfying. So we just want to be better for our horses. So this presentation, or active demonstration, I should say, because folks can bring their questions, um, uh, we're going to cover a number of topics, including some tips and myth-busting, We'll talk about how horses navigate conflict, what facial expressions they 
they provide to us that we can also understand and also how to just structure our interactions with horses in a way that is in fact supported by science. And I'm excited that you brought that up because Nina, how do you feel about actually getting to have horses in your talk? I know most of the talks that you do around well, the world, you do talks everywhere, are probably very hotel-based with a PowerPoint and what have you. And that's what's so unique about our CHA conference is we put people up on horses or on the ground with horses and we actually get things done. So are you excited as a presenter to actually be able to have horses to be able to uh, demonstrate what you're speaking about? Absolutely. And some things just can't be conveyed simply in a, inside a room. And this really adds an interactive component and in the moment learning and experiencing the topics that will be, will be going over the tips, the take home, takeaway messages uh, together again with, with a herd right there in Texas. Yes, we're so excited to be there. And as we mentioned earlier before Nina came on, anyone listening, um, HRN, you can just put Horse Radio Network and you can come as a CHA member pricing. So that's exciting. So go on CHA.horse to find out more about how to come and see Nina. Nina, for those that can't come to conference, so can't meet you that way, um, how can folks find you? Do you have a website, social media? What's the best? You can find me at the University of Denver and our Institute for Human-Animal Connection. That's where you can read more about my work. You can find my email and other contact information. Uh, you're also really welcome to find me on Facebook if that's something that you use. So you can find me under my, my name there with those two last names. I'm not too hard to find. And you can learn more about the work I do both in human health and especially in psychotherapy where horses are included and also the things I do with horse behavior and welfare. And like I said, working in that, in that intersection, that point between horse health and human health. So before we sign off, is there one particular horse that comes to mind that you really have been able to help, uh, maybe it also included an owner or a handler, that you would like to share one specific incident that occurred that really stands out to you in your career? I can give an example. This is from my behavioral consultation. Again, this is an area of work where instead of taking the horse to your place and, and training and then giving, giving the horse back to their owner, you work together with the owner and the horse in support with veterinarians, trainers, and other professionals. So this is an example from that work. And uh, recently I was working with a sport horse, a horse who's been part of competing um, in, in a couple of different disciplines, actually. And this horse's um, mental health had unfortunately taken a bit of a hit uh, with at times the stressful nature of being a horse in competition and being asked to do high level stuff. And together with the owner who was fortunately really open-minded and excited, we could work together and I could witness this horse start relaxing, start being able to try new things and eventually um, really being able to perform the way that um, the owner was happy with, but importantly, 
you know, reduce those both mental and physical symptoms of distress in the horse so that, that they too can have uh, a calm and comfortable life. So this was really, um, this is typically a process. So unfortunately, this doesn't tend to be those one miracle moments. And that's true for any behavior work. But this was really, really satisfying uh, to see this horse sort of um, dare to come out of their shell again and dare to listen to their human and um, make choices that really work for both of them. That is wonderful. I just love some specifics just to kind of see, you know, what the different areas of uh, people and horses' lives that you touch. So, Nina, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a part of Certified Horsemanship Association. And thank you so much for being willing to share your knowledge and educate others um, about the work that you do. And I'm so excited to see you in November, just a couple of months away now. I can't wait. Fascinating, fascinating chat with Nina and it's all about how human brains and and horse brains can connect and make one another better today. So I've got a quick question for you. You asked me this question. Do you have a event experience, particular horse student that you've interacted with over the years that really stood out and highlighted how that connection is important or how it can go wrong? Yeah, you know, I actually have, I have quite a few, but the one that comes to mind is just us as instructors saying that we can teach fearful riders. We are lying to ourselves until we ourselves have experienced fear with horses. (gasps) Ooh, that's big. Yeah. And that happened to me. So prior to having my children, I did not have fear. I jumped for eight. I bow raced. I pole bend. I was all out. Go, go, go. I did jumpers. I mean, I was just, that's what I was. And then I had children and there truly is a hormone that kicks in called mama bear hormone is what I call it. It has some big fancy word. I call it the mama bear hormone that says, what are you doing? You have children now. Stop jumping for eight. Stop barrel racing. And I literally, after my first kid was on the ground, I could not do it anymore. I had fear. Interesting. And I had to actually go to different other riding instructors who have dealt with people that have fear on horses and get myself through it. So it's a personal example for me personally. But then once I got through it myself, then, oh, my goodness, did I become so much better at teaching others that had been through it because now I could relate to them. Whereas before I was kind of doing them a disservice because I didn't really know what they had experienced. And then I did. And that was huge for me as a teacher and huge for, I think my students before and after the ones before didn't nearly get uh, the bang for the buck. The ones after certainly did. So interesting. Yeah. So, and I, I like that you used that example, your own personal experience, because I think we mis- often mistakenly assume that whenever there is fear, when it comes to riding a horse, it is because of some traumatic event. And mm-hmm. that is not necessarily 
the case. A fall or something. Absolutely. Right. No, this had nothing to do with it. So now do I jump for eight? <clears throat> no, I still don't. But I'm back to jumping two foot. Like I can hop on and show, you know, a, a student how to do something, but eh, two foot's good for me. And, but you know what I do now? And before I would check and release during barrel racing my horse, I would, I, after the fear set in, now I go full throttle with that rain is long. There is no check and release. <laughs> and that feels great to be back there again. So do you get over your fear entirely sometimes? No. Uh, the jumping fear is still there for me. So two foot's good. But the barrel racing fear is gone. Um, going fast on a horse on, on the flat, not over fences, is gone. So it's really interesting how things can morph and change for you personally. And then that influences your students if you happen to be a riding instructor. Great stuff. I'm going to take this one and chop it out and put it over on Horse Tip Daily too. That's a great thing for riding instructors or even riders to be cognizant of and put into their toolbox. And now we've got our next guest waiting in the wings. We are so excited for our next guest. This is Dr. Anina Schietti. And um, Dr. Schietti founded Therapeutic Horseback Riding in Israel in 1985 and developed Israel's official diploma curriculum for therapeutic horseback riding in 88, which became the springboard for multiple other related therapeutic studies. She has her doctorate in education, specializing in curriculum building for EAAT, Equine Assisted Activities and Therapies. In 15, Dr. Schietti received an award of excellence from Israel's prestigious Wingate Institute and is in the International Jewish Sport. Hall of Fame for her contribution to therapeutic horseback riding. She is the author of Traumatic Brain Injury and Therapeutic Riding and Horses Heal PTSD, Walking New Paths. So we are so excited, Anita, to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Israel. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm also excited to talk to you this this morning. <laughs> And tell us what time it is there. Tell us where exactly you live there. Tell us about the weather. Tell us about it all. Okay, so I live just outside Tel Aviv. Um, and the weather is, ex well, extremely hot and still quite humid. We're Actually, I'm just looking. It's 30 degrees at the moment, and we're going towards the evening. Um, it's it's really quite a nice, you know, pleasant area it's a mixture of green and uh, obviously sand but we're not very far from the sea so uh, it's quite a pleasant area to live in and I've enjoyed living in Israel I like the climate and uh, I like being able to do so many do uh, carry out a lot of my ideas here. so it's been very nice for me and I've been here 30 about uh, oh, over 35, 35 years, I think. Yes. Quite a while. So where were you prior? Where, excuse me? Where were you prior to moving to Israel? Where was I hired? No, where were you prior? Where did you live prior? Ah, no. Prior to Israel, I'm from England. Um, I was born in London. And then I lived... Um, I, I became a nurse in London, um, and then I went to live in the north, and I did preventive medicine in the north of Israel, in England. Um, and then when I was about 30, 39 years old, I decided to move to Israel. Um, and that, that was, that's really been the journey of my life, and 
Um, and I founded the idea of therapeutic riding here, and it's really taken off, and people love it all over Israel. They really enjoy it. Well, I'm so glad you did that. So when did you yourself, Anita, start horseback riding, uh, and why has the horse been so important in your life? I started riding um, when I was three years old. I, I was still living in London, but I was very lucky that my father used to take us every week to the countryside um, because he always, he was a great naturalist and believed in uh, his children seeing everything in the countryside. And I I was lucky enough to get on my first horse when I was three. And at the same time, I was also lucky to have my first sleep uh, horse box <laughs> because there was no nowhere for me to sleep. So I spent one of my very first meetings with horses, not only uh, riding them, but actually sleeping with them, which was really a very funny. I, I remember the experience. I was very young and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And something, uh, horses were just stamped inside me and that was it. I think that's wonderful. I think horses, once you become a part of it, it is a disease with no cure, right? I mean, we are just, we're in it for life, it appears, many, many times. It's for life. Uh, I, you know, when my father bought me my first saddle, I slept with it in the bed because I was just crazy about the smell of the, the, the leather and I was dreaming about having my first horse. All my childhood books were about uh, riding a pony or fantasizing that I was galloping across land and not, you know, with the horse free under me. I had all these dreams and the horse really got stuck inside me and um, it became very important to me. Uh, and then later on in life, when I've had some very sad events, I lost a son in the army. Um, the first thing I did uh, when I was after the morning, I went to the grieving days. I went back and got on my horse and we, we rode together. And I remember saying to her, look, you're like a giant Valium tablet for me. Oh. And, and we walked in the, the fields and I was singing and she, she was something, she was just really special. And she helped me a lot, and I knew I, I needed my horse when I was having fun, but I was also needed my horse in the sad times, and she so, made me feel better. Anita, is that why you started to believe so much in equine-assisted activities and therapies? Why I believe in equine-assisted activity and therapy um, is because I think it's an, a fantastic way of treating the whole person. Uh, it treats, it's a, a method working with our partner, the horses, we're able to treat a person's mind, body, and soul. And until we can uh, treat a person, the whole person, we will never, they will never heal correctly. And um, in the case of people who have post-trauma, this is really important that we take our time to heal them properly. Um, the horse is always in the present. And the horse is also communicating with us verbally and non-verbally. 
And I don't think any pill can do that. And I don't think any psychologist or psychiatrist can achieve as much as the horse um, because of because of these factors that they can communicate in this way, non-verbally as well as verbally and holistically. And, and it causes a person who's receiving EAT to focus, um, to work on their emotions, to work on their, manage their problems and to focus and to be with the horse in the present. So I, I love it for that. And I just want to say that I know people talk about uh, you know the therapy and we have to have professional therapists with the, with the horse and we have to have riding instructors but the horse is the it's the most dominant part and the key to the whole thing so okay <laughs> Anita I love that and is um you're also a book author and so why did you write those two books and could you tell us a little bit more about them yeah, well, um, I wrote the first book, which was Tra Traumatic Brain Injury, and I called it Therapeutic Writing in those days, because I, for, um, it was at least th 34 years, I'd been working with veterans who had traumatic brain injuries. And in Israel, over the years, I've seen uh, hundreds of veterans in this situation, and most of them had open, they, they had their skulls broken open. So I became, I think I became quite expert at working with the horse to help these people um, change. And as I was watching this happen um, through the years, I working with horses, I, I was really aware how plastic the brain was and slowly people were able to achieve many new things while they were riding, which they were able to take away, such as their speech would change, their movements would change, their moods would come up. And um, this was the, uh, the, um, the, the traumatic brain injury group. I, I, wasn't, I, f I believed in this group so much that I ended up um, in 1991, I took the first team to the World Championships in, in Denmark. And uh, people said, oh, she's crazy bringing these people, you know, who are they? Um, but they were fantastic and they performed really well. And from since then, many countries send people with head injuries um, to riding. So my first book was really I wanted to write down, get down all the some, the case studies and the stories and the work I'd done to help others. others. And I believe it was quite successful in America, that book. So uh, people really appreciated it. So I was happy about that. And I was happy that people would look at look at people with head injuries in a slightly different way um, that to remember that they really were real people and they had real problems and there were many um, social and emotional problems uh, they and behavioral problems they had to deal with and needed a lot of help and the horse help 
So my second book um, is a completely different book. Uh, it's uh, it's about the once again about the many cases I've worked with, many people I've clients I've worked with over the years. Again, I wanted to get it all down. I wanted to. I seem to have so much in my mind. I wanted to put it out on paper, and I also wanted to write in the beginning of the book about our the the human horse bond, because I think that's really important to understand the history of our bond. And then the book goes on to talk about um, people who have uh, had post-trauma and I talk about post-trauma and I also talk about uh, post-trauma and uh, connected to uh, coexisting with traumatic brain injury and as well as sexual trauma um, and in America you would know it as military sexual trauma. I talk about that and I've put cases and in one instance because I've kept notes over the years um, I, it actually has 12 sessions written in the book um, about one lady. So uh, um, I think the, the book is, it's very important. Um, it, people in the medical profession who have read the book say that I really know about post-trauma and I understand it. And I think I've tried to portray that in the book. Um, and may I just read you a, um, a very, a very small, it's fairly in the beginning of the book, where there's a young man who I was seeing in his visit. He was just, he was coming to the farm and he was not in a healthy state at all when he first came. Um, and through working and being with the horse and connecting to a horse, huge changes happen. So I asked him one day to describe to me what, was ha what had happened to him during his visits to the horse. And I call him Ben here. And Ben spoke about himself as a blown up, tense balloon. His balloon was filled with both pain and emptiness. At one point, he tried to burst his balloon by shooting himself in the chest. Today, he said, the balloon was filled with added fears of not succeeding in business and at home. But when he came to the horse and he had spent time with the horse, he found that she, because it was a female horse, she let the air out. She released the pressure. And as he spoke, he described his tension. He made it releasing a loud hissing sound while blowing both his hands down his body. He repeated that his horse had emptied out all of his tension, making it possible for him to focus and think clearly, rather than being trapped mentally by a thick fog, the balloon was burst. 
So this is the kind of work that I've been doing. And um, this is the kind of stuff that's written in the book. Uh, and how, how people have changed through uh, their connection and their bonding with horses. Um, I, later in the book, there is one other um, person who uh, she was uh, raped multiple times. And she said that, um, well, she didn't say it, but one day she felt the pains of her, her rape, which is all described in the book. Um, and she said no. And she asked to be come down from the horse. And it was the first time in her life that she'd ever been able to say no. And people listened to her. So this is the kind of stuff that's written in the book. And I hope that people will enjoy it. Uh, and, Anita, thank and you so much for sharing those things with us. Those are both so powerful. And we're so excited because you're going to be coming to our conference I, and talking on the power of the horse-human relationship. Can yes. you give us a small teaser on uh, what you're going to be talking about there? Well, um, I, I think I it's exactly what you said. I'm going to be talking about... Um, about uh, how how we can work with the horses and how what the benefits you know are for um, the person and I will use examples. I never can help myself. I have to. There will be many examples. I will be able to many. It's probably you would call them stories, but about people that have worked. I've worked with them and how the horse changed them and how different horses are needed for different people and different types of um, work, whether it's with, on the ground or whether it's riding or whether it's out on the trail. All these things have, you know, different benefits. And uh, I would, I'd like to talk about it. And this is all in the book. Um, so I hope, uh, I hope people will... Uh, will enjoy it or listen and and one I what I want is that people will go away and uh, use these some of the ideas in their work um, so my my yes. my future is that I am planning um, I've decided that I want to make a, <coughs> excuse me uh, I want to build a center that is really holistic um, just for uh, veterans with uh, post-trauma and uh, their families. Obviously, their families are, are very involved in this. <clears throat> and that um, the place is like a soul place. I want it to be very solely. Uh, and that we can maybe blend uh, music and art and things. We can connect them all to the horse um, and we can have everything sort of interconnected and um, I hope that will work. And the other thing that I'm doing now writing is that I'm writing a manual for working uh, with, um, for practitioners working with PTSD because 
Um, I feel that uh, um, I, there are there have been some manuals about, but it's mainly talking about how how to do the uh, techniques with the horse, the riding, or the groundwork. But I want this manual also to help a person understand uh, what they're looking at, who they're looking at, and if the if the person, and this is a small example, if a person reaches out their hand to touch a horse and you can see that they're reaching out and they're afraid, uh, how to help them with that fear, how to help their breathing, how to help them get closer to the horse and um, to explain. And, and my manual is really for practitioners to build their skills in helping the people at different in different situations with uh, post-trauma. Anita, I love your future plans. All of those sound amazing. And for those that will not be able to come to our conference, but want to find out more about you, um, you have a website, yes? Can you spell it yeah. and let everyone know about it? It's uh, Anita, it's just very simple. It's anitashkedi.com. And over the winter, we are going to do a winter series of, uh, we do lectures, but the lectures on the website are very informal and very reflective. You know, we can sit and discuss, people can put forward their points of view, it's not a, a difficult atmosphere, um, it's so we learn more, we learn from each other. And we build our knowledge. So I, the, it's anitashkedi.com. Um, I work with Facebook and LinkedIn. And if I'm smart enough this year, I might work with Twitter and, and Instagram, which I haven't yet learned how to deal with being a little bit old. <laughs> oh, it'll all come together. Social media, once you know one platform, you know them all. You'll be fine, Anita. Well, we so appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Well, thank you for having me. It's very nice. And I really look forward to this trip. Um, it's a, you know, it's a big thing. And I, I made a decision that I guess we can't just stay at home for COVID. We have to get out there. And well, it's, it's difficult. Um, and I hope some people come to the conference. <laughs> yes, we're going to have, you know, our normal right around 150 in attendance. So I think it will be a very good um, event. Yeah. And we're looking forward to having you. Fascinating discussion with both guests today. A lot of really good meaty stuff to get your gray matter going. I am so excited to have them both at conference. Oh my gosh, yes. They have some great things to share and some unique ideas for those out there listening that you thought you knew every career. Sorry about that. That's my dog, Bo. Hi, Bo. Every career in the equine industry. And then there's these careers, yeah. right, that these two ladies did. Totally yeah. different than what you would ever expect. I yeah. think it's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And if you want to find so, if you want to find these two guests and the links that we promised that you would have in the show notes, just go to horsesinthemorning.com and look for the episode for September 21st, 2021, especially if you're listening to this thing in 2026. Welcome back. And you can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page. It's just plain old Horses in the Morning, easy to find. Our handle on Twitter is Horse Radio, all one word. 
And if you haven't done so already, go over and download the Free Horse Radio Network app. It's available for iPhone or Android. Android. You can choose as many or as few of the Horse Radio Network shows as you like to be automatically downloaded to your phone. You won't ever have to miss one. Just search in your app store, uh, Horse Radio Network. And where can folks find out more about CHA, who is the title sponsor of this show? Yes. So just go to CHA.horse. So we're Certified Horsemanship Association. And once you're there, so much education. Um, You can attend, of course, the certification. There's the webinars that we spoke about that Nina has one and things on there. There's um, an entire YouTube channel on all kinds of videos um, in regards to horses and horseback riding. So please come and play. It's a very robust site. There we go. And you also have a Facebook page, which is Certified Horsemanship Association. Is that right? It's actually CHA Instructors. CHA Instructors is the Facebook page. So there you go. We will be back again tomorrow with more Horses in the Morning.